Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, welcome to another episode of Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. We have a return special guest, the 11-year NFL veteran, real estate mogul, podcast host, most importantly, though, a new father. Justin, welcome back to Talking Ball, and congratulations, man. Yeah, I'm a reoccurring guest now. It's my first time coming back to back on a show. I know we did it before I signed with the Giants, and now, you know, after coming back and, and going through the season. But uh, the, the the biggest highlight is is new father. My daughter's a month old today. I wow. just was I was just she was up and she was fussy the last hour, so I had her sleeping on my chest. So luckily, I don't have any uh, baby uh, <laughs> throw up on the chest right now. So I did all right. <laughs> no, we're really happy for you and your wife and your whole family. And yeah, high expectations for this podcast, because last time you come on, I think it was in August, and we essentially teased what ended up coming in the future, which was a signing back with the Giants, a team that drafted you, and you helped to steady that offensive line, bring people together. So I don't know if we got to break some news or, or you know, uh, cause, cause some headlines right now, but um, I trust that we're going to have a good time. I mean, I even got a love sack out of it last time. Those those comfortable chairs. My son won't play a video game without sitting in a love sack now, thanks to you and the straight off the couch situation. <laughs> um, so, you know, Pew's bringing it to everybody, man. Yeah. I mean, it's been, uh, it's been a wild ride. Couldn't, couldn't have drawn up the year going any better. You know, I think from our first conversation, if you went back and pulled clips, everything that we talked about came to fruition and, and rarely do, you speak things to existence, or maybe it does happen more often than you think. If you visualize it and you and you go out there with a the plan and execute it, there, some great things can happen. The love sack thing was completely, and the sponsorship was completely um, off the cuff. It just it just so happened to work out. I got to give a shout out to the Greenlight Podcast guys, the Long Brothers, um, right. Nate, Bo Allen, those guys. You know, I just was at Media Row. I think we we saw each other there for a brief second. Yeah. But uh, I was working with Love Sack again, the new Stealth Tech, where they put like the stereos into the. And we're not here to plug it. I just I, I have one at my house now, for sure. and uh, they have like the the subwoofers and speakers in the couch. It's like a complete 4D immersion into the. And your son, if he likes video games, mm-hmm. you got to look at the Stealth Tech because he'll be playing video games. But then a father with a one month old baby, you can turn it all off and and just kind of relax. So Love Sack does it all, and I think I'm going to start. Hopefully, we'll we'll make something happen with my podcast where we're straight off the couch and having guests straight off the couch and, and back onto the love sack. So if I could have moved it up here, it's too big to put in my setup here, but if it was, I could fit it right here. I'd be on it. It sounds like we're going to have a second one in the Leonard house soon while we're plugging, talk about bet online real quick. Bet online continues to be your number one source for all your basketball wagering needs, including pro and college hoops throughout the year with up to the minute odds, stats, and trends. You can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs with in-game live betting contests and all the best player props experience the world's best wagering platform anytime from your desktop or mobile devices head to the bet online app today get part become part of the team and remember to use the promo code believe for your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online where the game starts and justin where we start sounds like you have a little bit of breaking news on the personal side we've listened to your net worth podcast you're excellent on there. You're excellent doing all these radio and TV spots. And now something developing on that end as you continue to expand your portfolio. Is that correct? Yeah. So I just found out today I'm going to be doing the broadcast boot camp through the NFL. Um, I think there was like 75 or 100 guys that applied and 24 make it um, through doing the podcast and starting to build my brand and build my audience outside of just doing your traditional, um, you know, 
media session with reporters or, you know, going in and into New York and doing a live segment with a guy like you know, Bruce Beck, really being able to share my story and kind of share who I am and, and how I operate led to this. I put clips from my podcast in there and uh, it's been really good. I actually, since starting my own podcast, I ended up partnering with my producer and we're doing a lot of backend work. It's called Athlete Podcast Network. So we're going to mm -hmm. be able to provide like backend support, creative um, collaboration to kind of help guys think through if they had their own show, you look at guys like Micah Parsons and Tariq Hill this year and how and the Kelsey brothers obviously are, are very obvious. Pat McAfee being the biggest of the bunch, um, what guys can do and they can control their own, own narrative and then have that production on the back end. It's, it, it's there's such a good um, synergy there working with traditional media routes like yourself and be able to tell those stories because you have the built in fan base and then also being able to talk about things you're passionate about, whether that's football, real estate um, entrepreneurship, you know, wh whatever it is, you know, I know a guy like, um, Darren Waller it, it, using, using yeah. rap and music, be able to post that. So I think it's been something that I never thought I'd be in that space, the post-production, uh, the audience building, the brand building space, but it, it's gone really well so far. We have a few shows that are falling under our umbrella that we're going to help produce and looking forward to getting some more. That's excellent. So it is the net worth podcast with Justin Pugh. It's on the athlete podcast network. And I wanted to start my first question, Justin, uh, something you said on your most recent episode that really interested me. And I think the podcast is a good example for people. Justin really is as versatile on his podcast as far as what he addresses and talks about as he is on the offensive line, playing whatever position he's asked, guard, tackle, whatever it is, as we saw right off the bat in that Buffalo game. You said that it was sad that we can look up players' contracts publicly available online. I think it was a good example of you talking about the business of the NFL and of football, but I found that a really interesting perspective from a player kind of distressed that people's private financial information was available. I was just wondering if you would dive into more of your feelings behind that and, um, and you know, why you think it's tough that, that, that information is there online for us all to consume. Yeah, obviously with, the sport we play and the, and the spotlight that is put on the sport, I realize that people want that information. Um, mm -hmm. But there is no other profession out there where you know exactly how much someone makes, be able to compare signing bonus or, or salary. And people don't understand the way taxes work within the NFL. Um, everyone obviously understands how taxes work in general, but how much a player actually sees in a contract there's there's guarantee sections of it. There's injury settlement. So when you look at let's take the biggest example, Patrick Mahomes signs a four hundred and or let's just say five, ten year five hundred million dollar contract. It was somewhere in that ballpark, Round maybe a little more, yeah. a little little less. So everyone's like, oh, Patrick Mahomes is making fifty million dollars a year for the next two years, ten years. He has five hundred million dollars at this point. So now all of a sudden, aunts, uncles, coaches, teammates, everyone's reaching out to Patrick Mahomes. They don't realize that he just got taxed for two hundred and fifty million of it. Um, he's only guaranteed a certain amount of that. He has to pay his agent. He has to pay his marketing. He has to pay CPAs. He has to then help his immediate family, his wife, his kids, things like that. I'm sure he's helping out family members. I'm sure he's helping out all those things. So it really sets guys up for failure. If we mm. really care about the athlete and trying to teach them more about financial literacy, which has been a 10 year journey for myself, I really think we need to do a better job of protecting some of the, those, that privacy. Now, I realize the business that we're in and fans are entitled to know that players are making millions of dollars. I just think down to the dollar and cents. Maybe there's a way to, to protect guys. I think if you would, if you just put a human element on it, I think everyone enjoys the 
the anonymity of having their salary private and not like people know, oh, this guy's making good money, but like having right. an actual dollar amount because it's a, it's actually a fake number. All these guarantees and things are really just on paper. People don't understand how much guys actually end up walking away with. And it's still a tremendous number. I don't mean to say that it's not, but I oh, just yeah. think ha having some privacy there would help protect guys from themselves. Because when I saw Patrick Mahomes' contract, you see the headline, $500 million, and you just automatically go there. It's just uh, uh, maybe it's just subconsciously what you do. So I think it'd be great if we could somehow maybe, A, if we can say the real dollar amounts, even though it's still astronomical after taxes and less some of those things, or B, somehow keep it private because these guys, again, have to go live normal lives and, and, and do those types of things. No, I think that it was a really interesting point by you because I've had conversations with people in the league that they are confused and distressed about not only that it's public information, but more that it's completely misunderstood and that every person with an internet connection can go to one of these websites and claim to be an expert on it when they are wildly inaccurate in their uh, takeaways from what these numbers mean and that that can become dangerous. And really it speaks to the NFL in so many ways is so perception driven. And so, you know, one report will have a report that says the number is a certain thing because it makes the agent look good getting this guy a certain amount of money. The average and then the next per year or that. Right. Yeah, exactly. And then the next one, you know, looks like a dramatically lower number because the team wants to look like it's being smart and not overpaying and all this. And so it's this battle between uh, dueling agendas, really, for what the public consensus is on a situation. And I just thought, you know, you hitting on that was really like on the money because yeah, like as a reporter, obviously, especially when you're trying to judge, let's say yeah. this general manager made these investments and was it worth it? Or did he divvy up the pie in the right way? Whatever it is, it's helpful. But I do think it is way more complicated than people understand. And I think talking about it as you're, as if you are informed on it, if you're not fully grasping, let's say that a lot of three-year deals are really only two-year contracts and the third year means nothing. It just makes the average annual value equal. But by the time I explain that in the second paragraph of a story, someone's eyes are glazed over and they're already reading about the Knicks on the next page, right? Yeah. So I just think, um, I just think, I don't know what the solution is, but I like that you brought that up and I like that you started that conversation. Yeah. I mean, obviously no one sees that my last two years in Arizona, I had to take pay cuts. If they Google Justin Pugh contract, the, the full deal that I signed with the Cardinals pops up. They don't realize that I took 75% pay cuts the last two years and had, you know, and then had to earn it back through incentives. Even if you look at my Giants contract from this last year, it's misleading because it was so incentive based. So it's just, it's one of those things. It is the nature of the business. You, you have to have a way as a fan or, or, um, and I'll just use fan as a general term because media, we're all fans of the game to be able to judge whether someone is living up to expectations. And we're such a results driven business that I do understand why it is in place. Yeah. Um, but I also think if we do care about the athletes at the end, at the end of the at the end of the day, the product on the field is what matters the most. Yeah. So if it's still production on the field and we're still watching the games, does it really matter how much someone's making, um, there's right. ways to compare and contrast. So I, I definitely think it's not going anywhere, but I think it does set up our NFL players and my brothers to, for, for, for issues down the road and issues while they're playing. No, it is fascinating because really the only publicly available salaries are people in public service, right? Like you guys are providing a huge service, but it's entertainment. You're people with jobs. Uh, you're not, you're not the governor of a state, right? So 
it shouldn't be applied. It's not taxpayer money paying us, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it is part of the business. I love the business. Um, and I wouldn't trade it for anything, but I, I look at it from the lens of, I know all these guys, I know their families, I know what they're going through. And for that personal side of me, I would love to protect some privacy for guys. No, it's a great conversation to have. Uh, we are coming up on the NFL combine and always a fascinating and crazy week in Indianapolis and the college prospects coming in, working out, being medically tested by these teams, having uh, rapid fire meetings for them to get to know them and to judge their character as well as their play. I was wondering if you have any wild or uh, you know combine memories that stick out from 2013 when you're coming out of Syracuse and you end up getting drafted by the Giants, what you remember about that experience. I never thought the Giants were going to draft me to begin with. The, there were some other teams that were, were were high on me and maybe outwardly. And, and there's some deception, I think, that goes into play here. Obviously, we see that as as especially with the first round picks, because those are guys where you might see some team values them in the top 10 pick. Another team may not value them in the top three uh, rounds. So you have to be, I guess, keep keep the hand close to the vest and <laughs> Going through that process, the Giants never really reached out other than at the combine, having a meeting with with Coach Coughlin, Jerry Reese, um, and it was it was a good it was a good conversation. But I met with like fifteen teams, and it was the same thing over and over again. Show us your your favorite play, block it up, tell us hmm. X Y Z, explain all these things that we found in your past. Like I had a fishing without a license, and they found out that I had a fishing without a license t uh, citation from when I was like fifteen years old. <laughs> Um, so, you know, just, just little things like that. But the craziest one was the Patriots, Bel Bill Belichick. Um, I sit down, Skarnecchia, who was the offensive line coach and I, I think Josh McDaniel was, was the OC at the time. Okay, We're yeah. breaking down one of my favorite plays and Bill Belichick is sitting behind me. So I'm looking at the, at the screen, like I am right now. And Bill Belichick starts asking me questions and I like go to turn around to answer him. And it's Bill Belichick. You look him in his eyes when you're talking to him. And he was like, no, no face forward. Don't, don't face back. So I like, didn't know what to do. I'm trying to talk to like the greatest coach of all time. And he won't let me take my eyes off the screen. Um, and, and you're scared. You, you want to impress these guys. You want to get drafted as high as possible. And throughout the process, the Cowboys brought me in. They had the 18th overall pick during that draft. Right. They brought me in for an official visit. And as I walked into Dallas Cowboys Stadium, I just see welcome Jordan Pugh on the on the Jumbotron. And I'm like, no. all right, the, Cow the Cowboys aren't drafting me. Check that one off the box. <laughs> so they, they ended up trading back in that draft, taking Travis Frederick, who was a heck of a player. And then the last day that you were able to do private workouts, the Chicago Bears came and worked me out. And they had the 20th pick. So I at first okay. thought I would, could go to the Cowboys at 18. I could go to the Bears at 20. And then sitting in between was the New York Giants. Um, and never was expecting it. I knew that I was going to get drafted in the first round. Um, after pick 12, DJ Fluker was taken, and he was the, the last tackle, and then I was the next one up. Fluke. Yeah, and I and obviously came to the Giants and, and teammates of mine, and, you know, great, yeah. great guy. But as soon as the Chargers took him at 12, I was the next one up in terms of everyone's rankings, in terms of all the talk. So I, I thought I wouldn't make it past 20 to the Bears, and then I get a call from a 201 number. It's Jerry Reese, it's Tom Coughlin, and for that you can go to YouTube, and that 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 is um I still get goosebumps thinking about it, but that was a surreal moment and changed my life forever. That's a great story. Which team? Which team did you think was going to draft you? Like when you sat down with your family on draft night, like what was the what was the one in your mind that you thought, okay, it's gonna it's probably going to be this Bears at twenty. I thought it was going to be the Bears. Yeah, Jordan Pugh. Well, 
the Cowboys. I always knew the Cowboys never never had had a thing for me. <laughs> right, that was a sign you were going to one of their rivals as well. Exactly. Um, speaking of the draft, and you know, you being an offensive lineman and playing eleven years in the league, there are a lot of teams. Now, every you could say this about every position, but scouting the offensive line is clearly something that a lot of teams in the NFL struggle with doing. Translating talents from college to pro from a spread system to a pro system and even to judging how guys can handle life off the field. I was wondering, like, let's just put, let's just put the NFL consultant hat on you for a second. Let's just say a team enlisted you to try and rank and select the best offensive linemen. What do you think NFL teams and scouts and general managers should be looking for? Like what are the underrated qualities maybe of an offensive lineman that you would circle or highlight on your scouting report and on film and say, don't overlook this. This is the big one. Yeah. I think obviously when it comes to offensive linemen, it is a position where all five have to be working in the same page. So you can't have a rogue renegade. There is no Batman on an offensive line. You can have your best players, but let's take the giants. For example, Andrew Thomas is only as good as the four guys, the four guys that he's playing with. So it really depends on, A, where you're playing. So let's put the GM hat on. Say I'm, I'm Joe Shane's assistant right now. We're in New York. I'm redshirting every offensive lineman that I draft. I'm not drafting a guy and, and putting him out there right away. Hmm. The thing about offensive line play is picking up games, working on double team blocks, learning how defenses and blitz, how a guy like um, – Who's who just got signed in Philadelphia? How the defensive how the defensive coordinator from the Eagles? Um, okay, Vic Fangio, yeah. How his pressure packages look? What people do on third down? There is so much that goes on to it. There's a lot of reasons why you shouldn't play a first overall quarterback right away either. Give them time to learn. Look at the Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love. Like giving these guys time to develop and learn the game. So if I'm in New York, I'm redshirting every offensive lineman off the bat. Like I just think it's a, a set of standard where the pressure to come in perform because New York and, and Philadelphia and Boston and the Northeast in general put so much pressure on their teams because let's let's be honest, that's where some of the biggest fan bases in the most the most populous areas are in our country. So I think yeah. just Going through that myself, Andrew Thomas going through it, Evan Neal currently going through it. You look at a lot of these high-drafted offensive linemen, and guys have struggled initially. And guys sometimes bounce back, and sometimes they don't. Yeah. Let's look at a guy in Philadelphia. Lane Johnson struggled as a rookie, and people don't want to don't necessarily talk about that now. He turned into one of the best right tackles. But how quickly that could have gone the other way. So I True. think if I'm drafting an offensive lineman in New York City, I'm redshirting him his first year. I'm bringing in a veteran like myself who can be a good leader in that locker room. And you want to have youth and you want to develop youth, but developing youth without the pressure of, of, of going out there to perform right away. And that's where the dollars and cents start to kick in. If I give, if I draft a guy and I'm paying him a $30 million contract, you expect him on the field right away. Right. And the, the results driven business that we're in expects results tomorrow. And a lot of times that's not in the best interest of the player. So I think, you know, and, and and then also when it comes to offensive linemen, I I necessarily wouldn't play a guy out of his position. So if a guy played left tackle in college, I would prefer to leave guys in the positions that they're most comfortable in, especially if you're going to play them right away. Moving me to right tackle out of left tackle from college, I was swimming out there. I was my technique was off. I didn't feel comfortable. Not until I went back to left guard did I finally feel comfortable again in the NFL, which was three years later. So it took me a while to learn how to do everything. 
learn how to deal with this, to, with New York City, learn how to handle the amount of money that I had at the time. And that goes across any team. Um, so if I was in New York, that that's what I would do. And I know the next question is going to go to an Evan Neal or what, what do we do with Evan Neal? Obviously, the Giants have decisions to make there. I wouldn't be surprised if they worked him out at right tackle and at left guard. He, he may for, feel more natural at left guard. And I made that transition. I know Evan's talked about playing that, you know, coming out of the womb as a, as a tackle and playing that position. But at the end of the day, playing football in the NFL as an offensive lineman and getting paid to play football, that's what he was put on earth to do. And Evan's an unbelievable talent. And I just think he had some injuries last year. Clearly the foot injury was more significant than people thought. So I have all the confidence in the world. And I, I point to Evan because he's the most recent to go through it. We saw Andrew Thomas come out, come out the other side and he's the one of the best left tackles in football right now. I've had an 11 year productive career. Um, so I'm looking forward to him to make that next step. I just felt like that transition was there. That's why I mentioned it. No, yeah, that's great information from the inside and from somebody, by the way, playing 11 years in the NFL, like when I was preparing for this, I mean, I know that you've had a, a long and um, and healthy career with a couple of these storied organizations, but that's healthy. A lot of times fans get on me for not being healthy. I would love for, and as I always chime back, it's like, I hey, said that on at, purpose. <laughs> go, go look at all the, the, the O-linemen that were drafted the same year as me. A, how many are still playing and B, who has, who has more starts than me from 2013? There's, there's not a lot of guys, right? Like playing 11 years in the NFL just by itself, forget anything else is extremely difficult to do. I don't know what the percentage is on that, but it's got to be under 10%. The amount of guys are under, you know, it's got to be in the top six or 5% of guys in the NFL. Um, no, you're absolutely right. It's a crazy contact sport to not deal with a couple injuries would be wild. Uh, but no credit to you. That's what I, that's why I brought it up. Cause it really is an accomplishment in and of itself. You also brought up something that I wasn't going to ask about this, but it really is kind of an epidemic in the NFL right now that, so because the owners are quicker now to dump general managers and coaches every one, two years, three at the most, really, in a lot of these places, they all have to get these guys on the field now to try and improve the team now to win now so they keep their jobs. And so what you said is best for the player is really not happening in a lot of places. And you're right. A lot of the best quarterback handoffs are happening where a guy gets time to watch and grow, right? You have Mahomes and Alex Smith. You have, you know, Jordan Love from Aaron Rodgers who had the same thing from Brett Favre, those types of things. But you really just don't get that luxury now as a player at any key position as a high pick in the NFL, right? Yeah, and I think that is – I see both sides of it. When, when a team drafts somebody number one overall, they want to see him on the field. Um, but I've also seen the personal toll that it takes on guys that are trying to learn. So are, are we trying to build it? I guess it, it, it goes back to the question of, of what are we? And this is what I dive into on my podcast and we're entertainment. And at the end of the day, you can replace a player, you can replace a coach, you can replace a GM. Um, and, and owners have shown, I mean, look at Carolina, David Tepper is not scared to fire multiple coaches after multiple years and just cut that check because this is a business. And, I think people lose sight of that and players. I definitely lose sight of it because I'm looking out for the best interest of the player, but for entertainment, you want to see those big names on the field, all the hype on the field. Um, so I understand why they're out there, but if you look at what is the best to win and like build this culture, build this longevity, I would take a long-term approach. Like let's maybe the chiefs weren't 
going to be great right away if they would have put Mahomes and threw him to the fire. By letting him develop, they've had a sustained 10-year run. So turnover and after turnover is not good either. So I think if you're a, G- a GM or a head coach that's sought after, maybe it's it's up to us to start raising the standard. Hey, I need three years. I need a three-year minimum contract where you give me time. If you're not willing to buy into this system and give me time to get my players and, and my scheme in place, then this isn't a fit for me. So maybe GMs don't need to be jumping to take that job as quickly as as they they are now. Right, right. Because I don't think own I don't think the thirty two billionaire owners are going to change if they don't see what they what they want. I think they're going to you know pull the trigger because of the the the, the backlash from fans, etc. No doubt, no doubt. And they they recognize that just getting that one season right is enough to sustain what a decade, maybe more, of ticket sales of, you know, getting those PSLs renewed, whatever it is. And so unfortunately, a lot of people end up being casualties of that kind of cycling through to try to get it right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we're all fascinated by it. Um, it's the it's the biggest league, biggest sport in this country. And I'm lucky to be a part of it and covering it and covering people like yourself. One more thing about um, player scouting and kind of a judging where a guy fits. You know, social media now is so much crazier and more prevalent than it was like, you know, when I was coming out of college in 2006, when, even when you came out in 2013, how do you advise guys on how to handle that? Because it can be a tool. Yeah. And I use it as a tool and I can, so, so I'll, I'll kind of, I'll kind of jump in there. It, It is a tool and it is the biggest tool that we have at our disposal right now. And this is why I always tell people, and again, playing in New York is the media capital of the world. I went from New York where, you know, when Odell Beckham was at his peak of having 100 to 150 media members in the locker room any given day to going to Arizona where you might have five. And I saw how guys use it the right way and how guys use it the wrong way. I've seen guys come out and say comments that, you know, are going to get people riled up. And I've said it, I've said things that I've regretted, but I've learned throughout my career to use social media, to use the media in general, have by me and you having a better relationship by me starting my own podcast and being able to deliver the news directly from my mouth Hmm. enabled me to grow this relationship with the fan base in New York and Arizona and that actually was beneficial to me when I was negotiating my contract with Joe Shane. After the Bills game, me and Joe were having conversations. I was on the phone. It was me, Joe, my agent, some other some other folks from the Giants. And we were having like, hey, if you're going to let me walk out of the door, how's the fan base going to react tomorrow? And that plays a part. I mean, I think if you look at, you know, I'm a small minnow compared to a guy like a Saquon Barkley, Eli Manning, and Odell Beckham. But those guys and the, and the value they bring off the field for the organization, there is value there. And that's why I think it's such a hard conversation to have. And I'm not envious of Joe Shane's job because he's doing what he, what's best for the team, what's best for the organization. And a lot of times that intersection of fandom and business aren't going the same direction and it's a tough tough position and the players that understand how to leverage media and how to leverage their brand not only do better on the football field but they do better life after football the biggest example i could give that i play with and i've seen firsthand was was jj watt you look at jj just instantly transitioning into fox or cbs whichever one he's with now but he, he built this brand that was bigger than his football game and his football game was the best player in the nfl and he built this brand recognition off the field even higher so that's what i encourage all guys to do and that's 
what why I started that the company Athlete Podcast Network to allow guys to build an audience and then choose to do with that audience whatever you want and try to figure out ways to monetize. But if you don't build your brand, you're at the mercy of of everyone else's opinion and everyone else's. So like to get on the forefront and control your narrative is is huge. Just curious, when you got the offensive line and the offensive players together for these dinners when you came to the team, did you teach some of these things to guys or was it more kind of just getting to know you like bonding sessions or do you offer this kind of advice to, to young players and, you know, try to be that resource? Yeah. I don't want to seem preachy and tell these guys like I know everything because I don't, I'm figuring it out as I go. I think it was them getting to know me and knowing why I was there and what I was there to do. I was there to help the organization. So anyone that came at me from any other perspective was just flat out wrong. I was there to help the team that drafted me. I could have gone anywhere. Like I, I, we had, I had mentioned before, I had other opportunities to take very similar deal, go on the practice squad and see what you're worth anywhere. I mean, there was 10 teams that I could have gone to and, and, and did that. I chose to come back to the Giants for a specific reason. Like we were one in six when I signed. I didn't sign thinking that like, oh, I'm going to ride a coattails to the playoffs. I didn't want to do that. If I wanted to ride coattails to a playoff game, I would have signed with Philadelphia when they were seven and oh at the time and and they had culture they had everything established but going to new york i felt like i could contribute and by doing so i went out there and played left tackle not knowing the playbook being told by mark lewinsky what the play was and ben bredesen and jms and i was thrown to the i I was thrown to the wolves honestly like i I was like that in 300 when they send their little kids out there with the spear and they're like if you come back with a dead wolf you can be on the team that's what I did. And I went out to Buffalo. If we would have won that game, it would have been even better for me. But we we, we just came up short. Stop but once it. guys saw that, then I think they started to respect me. And once I earned their respect by the way I worked and the way I carried myself, I think guys started to see how I handled the media. Because at that point in the New York Giants locker room, the media never really came around the offensive line too much. And, and they called me Hollywood. And they're like, oh, Pew's talking to the media again. And even the skill guys would get on me. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, Watch what I'm doing. I'm playing a different game right now. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to the fan base and like I'm interacting with the media, and it's going to help build this reputation that I, I that that is positive and sheds a positive light. And people have biases, and if you go out there and you and you play the media card and and you embrace it, it comes back twofold. So in New York, you have one of two ways: don't talk at all and just fly completely under the radar and let all those things happen, where you give very minimal answers. I look at a guy like Andrew Thomas, who's not he, he'll, he's not going to go out of his way and speak like I'm speaking right now. Daniel Jones, even Eli Manning wasn't. You have to be as a quarterback, but those guys have opposite personalities as myself. And right. even as, as a head coach, I've looked at from Tom Coughlin to Ben McAdoo to you know the coaches that, to Dave's now and how they interact with the media. I would fully embrace it. I would go all in because New York's going to come and get it one way or the other. So you might as well embrace it, get everyone on your side. They may not like you, but they're going to see your perspective. And as a human being, I think that gives you a little more leeway to um, to go out there and and maybe have some bumps in the road, have some failures. People will, will, will respect you more if you own up to it and you look the camera in the face, whether you win or lose. And that's something that I didn't realize until later in my career. All right. So I've waited long enough to ask you this, but everybody obviously wants to know, like you mentioned, Joe Shane, and the Giants, you got the negotiations done midseason last year to come back and join the team that drafted you. Where do you think that stands now with free agency approaching? Do you envision sticking with the Giants? Do you think uh, another team is in your future? Where, where, where does it stand for you, Justin? 
Yeah. Now I've, I've talked about this when the season ended and it was obviously somber moments when the season ended because, you know, we just had just had played our last game and granted we won and beat the Eagles, but we weren't going to the playoffs. So uh, the season's a failure at that point and you take what you can from it and, and you move on. So I packed up, went to Arizona, had my daughter and just started thinking about whether I want to play again. And I'd mentioned earlier when I talked about Evan Neal, maybe you know, he plays some right tackle and plays some left guard. The Giants have – there's been rumors. Giants are looking offensive line. They're looking quarterback. They're looking receiver. You never know what's going to happen. Um, but I think that I improve the offensive line. Now, what that value is and the number that it comes down to, it, it may be different from the Giants' perspective than my own perspective. Obviously, I would probably think maybe highly of myself than, than some of the fans or people want to pay a 34-year-old guard. Um so we'll see how it all shakes out. I think what I went out there and proved last year is that I can still play at a high level. I wasn't all the way healthy. You know, I'm a year off ACL. I think look at any player coming off ACL, it takes about 18 months until you're 100% back to normal. Hmm. The, the weight wasn't where I would, would have loved it last year because I had the, didn't have the ability to, to train a full offseason. So right now, being able to get a full offseason under my belt, I proved that I can play. I, you know, there's some – I didn't know the offense. I was, I was being told the offense for the first half of the year, um, what the plays were, and, and not knowing those nuances affects a player like me. I can't give away any advantage. And and not even knowing the snap count as well as I would like um, definitely was was some of, the, some of the issues I had last year. So I think – the Giants have a lot bigger fish to fry before they get to Justin Pugh. You, you have the draft. We, you know, have to fill out the coaching staff. You have all the scouting that goes on with the draft. You have Saquon Barkley situation. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's a lot on their plate, and I think they know the value that I bring and the leadership that I bring to the locker room. But at the end of the day, once those other cap situations get figured out, that I'm sure we'll have a conversation. It, it'd be better for me to have the conversation in March um, when teams have cap space because when you get into the August or into the season – there isn't much cap space available, and uh, it ends up getting a little a little tougher to negotiate a deal, which I found out this last year. So I would mm-hmm. prefer to, to to have some conversations in March and April, um, but realize the business has to play out. And fortunately, I have some. I had some friends get hired elsewhere in the in the NFL this year. My my former coach Cliff Kingsbury, right. former offensive line coach, are, are in Washington right now. Ben McAdoo, former head coach of mine, is in New England right now. The, the Cardinals obviously are in my backyard. Um, but I love New York. I want to be back in New York. But if they if there's no, if they have no want to have me back on the team, I obviously can't just wait around like uh, like I'm at the the prom with no date. So you, you want to, you want some, you want someone to dance with. <laughs> right. No. Well said. Um, is a priority in those decisions as well. I know last year when we talked. You were on the verge of having your first child, your daughter, and you said that your dream was to stand on the field at the Super Bowl holding her, right, with the with the little headphones, right, over. And as you make this decision this year, is that is that still the the end goal? Um, you know, there's a lot of factors. There's money. There's whether you're starting for the team. There's uh, who you're playing for and what type of system. But does it really all come down to? hopefully standing on the field with with your daughter in your arms in February? Yeah, I mean, obviously, get to watch the Chiefs and 49ers. I predicted that wrong. I called the 49ers to win, but, you know, lear- <laughs> learning never to go against Patrick Mahomes, it's it's – now, now we all know that, but, um, yeah, you didn't learn I, though. You picked the bills to win next year on your podcast. I heard I that. know, I know. <laughs> I just, I, I like what the bills bring to the table. Um, yeah. I'll never learn. So <laughs> having my daughter on a field 
with me playing football and I have that memory with her would, would be huge. Winning a Super Bowl would be a dream come true. I haven't done that. But the one thing I've always said, and I just feel this, I, I'd want to be a contributor on a team to win a Super Bowl. I don't want to just be signing late with a team and just to go win a ring that I had no part in playing. I didn't help build the culture. I didn't really I, – I wouldn't feel right. And maybe I just say that because I've never won a Super Bowl ring. And, and I I just felt like for me and, and fulfillment for me would be to be there from day one to win a Super Bowl. And, and you can't really make that call in – in August or September. So we'll see what happens. I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm not done playing yet. You know, I, I, I still proved I can go out there and do it and uh, we'll see how it shakes out. All right. One more quick one and then we'll wrap up here. Thanks so much for all this time. Um, big picture. You know, I'm not asking you to talk about whether to resign this guy or not sign that guy or whatever, but big picture, give me the three step plan for the giants to get back on track this year. Like if you were, helping to run the show, what, what would be like a three-step plan for the Giants to get back on track? It's a great question. I mean, I think if I had the, if I had the magic ball and, and I was doing that, they, they would hire me to, to be Joe Shane's uh, assistant or, or the GM one day. But obviously, I mean, let's, let's look at the most important position on the field. And people get mad at me when I talk about quarterbacks and quarterback pegs. I'm a firm believer in tying quarterback salary to the cap as a percentage of the cap. Patrick Mahomes is the only quarterback to be to make over 16.9% and win a Super Bowl, which is why I think Patrick Mahomes is on his way to uh, being the greatest to ever do it. Because if you looked at the team around him, Brett and, and Veach, the GM, has a lot to do in that scenario. He drafted a lot of young guys that were all pro and pro bowlers. Yeah. Um, but to win with Mahomes making as much as he was goes to show how good he is. So you started the quarterback position. Obviously, we have Daniel Jones, great quarterback. He, he didn't really have a fair shake last year. There was a lot of injuries, and the team clearly wasn't where it was from the year before. For whatever reason, we weren't playing as well. I mean, you also look at it, how many close games we won in 2022. I wasn't on the team at the time. And then how many close games we lost in 2023. It was just those those little one-possession games that didn't go our way were the the reason you make or break a playoff. Like Look at the Packers. They made the playoffs, and we beat them. So there's no reason why we can't go back. So Daniel Jones is your quarterback. You're, you're, you're paying him. You have to give him a fair shake at it. Let him go out there and do it. And he's proved he can be a playoff quarterback. So have all the faith in, in, in Daniel. And then, and then it comes down to, to point number two. And I, I'm just like in terms of like fandom as how I'm ranking. I'm ranking it in terms of the popularity amongst the fan base. So the next one up is, is Saquon Barkley, obviously. And that, he could easily be one. He is the face of the franchise. He's the heart and soul of the team. I think if you ask anybody, he's the undisputed leader in that locker room. And um, you have to get that, that, that situation figured out. Um, from a business standpoint, obviously the league showing that they're only paying running backs a certain amount of money. Um, I think the, the, the all the running backs had a, a club similar to the quarterback club where they all got together and they're like, there's, there's something going on here. It's the business. It's the business telling you that we're only valuing this position this much money. I think Christian McCaffrey making it to a Super Bowl, being the highest paid running back in football is good for, for business for running backs. Um, so you have to get that situation figured out. I would bring Saquon back. Now, obviously, the tag and all those things, you want him happy. So it's trying to have that conversation. It's like, hey, what's good for you is good for us. Going to play elsewhere, um, you know, going – you may not make as much money off the field. So maybe there's a way to, to make this all work. If Tom Brady and the Patriots can figure it out and he took a little less to keep a team around them, um, but as a friend, you want to see Saquon get paid as much as possible. So 
Maybe there's the best for both sides would be to let Saquon, don't tag him, let him go to the market, see what's out there, but say, hey, this offer's always here. We want you in big blue. We want you to retire a giant for life. But if a team is going to completely overpay you, we realize it's a business and you may have to go elsewhere. And fans may not like to hear that. Um, I don't even know if Saquon would like to hear that, but I'm just trying to think of a scenario in which he can be happy and back in New York because that's where he belongs. So I think that's point two. I really talk about the offense and defensive line. Um, I think you need to bring in a veteran offensive lineman, whether that's me, whether that's – and I think, honestly, a tackle. I don't need to be going out to tackle again. I think being a swing guy on the inside is great, or maybe you're starting left guard, but also bringing in a veteran presence that can play tackle. You need to have a guy that can go in there if Andrew Thomas has an injury like he did last year or Evan Neal has an injury, or maybe Evan Neal moves to to, to left guard and becomes a starting left guard for the next 10 years for the New York Giants and breaks the guard market wide open, getting $20 million a year like guards are. Um, you have to have a guy that can go out there and play tackle on a pinch for you and and plan for that. He needs to be a paid guy that you can rely on. And then I look at the defensive side of the ball. You need to have a closer when it comes to to the defensive line, a guy that people are double, triple teaming. I think of, you know, when you look around the league, there's a guy like Chris Jones in, in Kansas City or Aaron Donald in, in, in L.A. with the Rams or Bosa with the 49ers. Um, you go across the board, and I think Thibodeau is, is turning into that. And he's getting better and better. But having two guys that you don't know who to who to double team, that's really when there's keys to success. You have Dexter Lawrence in the middle. So I think getting a guy, you know, to pair with Dexter Lawrence and, and Thibodeau that is a closer. It's a it's a third certified threat. I would spend the most money on that position. Go get a guy that's done it before at a high level. Mm. You look at um Josh Allen, the defensive end from the Jaguars. I know he's a free agent. I don't know who yeah, he had a monster year too, yeah. I think you build from the D line. Like if I was putting a priority on positions in the NFL, quarterback clearly is one, defensive line is two, and I I would have eight of them. And that's how the Giants won all their Super Bowls. They had the best defensive line in football. The Eagles came and stole the philosophy. The Redskins or the Commanders tried to do the same thing. Sorry, I'm old school there. The oh, Cowboys, you stopped yourself midway. That was impressive. Yeah, it, it's better. The Cowboys <laughs> have done the same thing, and I think getting a a a, a bunch of guys that are just angry and want to get after the quarterback is the best way to win football games. So I think that should be the top free agent priority for the Giants is to get another edge rusher. Yeah, so I think getting getting closers on the defensive line is something that every every team needs. You need to have a guy that makes offenses lose sleep on Monday or Tuesday when you're getting ready to play them. And we already have that with Dex and Thibodeau and adding that next guy um, that has shown that he can do it at a high level. I think that's a priority in free agency. There's a guy that's in Philadelphia right now, Hassan Reddick, that asked for a trade. So maybe there's something, something there. Interesting. Maybe you have to add future GM to your title. We don't know. He's in boot camp at the NFL now for possibly calling games, getting into the media space. He's already in the media space. He's doing it all real estate, football, still playing next year. Justin Pugh, we love having you here. Thanks for being a return guest on the Talking Ball with Pat Leonard podcast. Remember, we are sponsored by Bet Online and also by Estate 98 Coffee. It's an Essencia de Cafe. From El Salvador, dates back to 1798. Takes two minutes to make. Justin, thanks so much for your time. And uh, we'll catch you down the road here. Yeah, exactly. I need some, man. Exactly. Uh, I appreciate you having me on, Pat. Always a pleasure talking Giants football. There's, you know, I'm a fan first. So excited <laughs> to see how everything shakes out. Hopefully I'm a part of the a part of the team. I think I think there's some good things that could happen in, in, in the future here. He is Justin Pugh. His podcast is the Net Worth with Justin Pugh podcast on the Athlete Podcast Network. Thanks again, man. Take care. Pat, thanks, man. Appreciate it. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.